Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long. And now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom, Jim. Shalom, Rabbi. Manishma. I am bundled up, and we are anticipating a, a real a major snowstorm here in, in Jerusalem. Ah. Just, to, just, just supposed to hit just about the time that your plane is supposed to land, Bezrat Hashem. I'm bringing the Arkansas weather with me. I was going to ask you if you were going to be dreaming of a white Shabbat. Ooh, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a song that was written by a nice Jewish man, I think. Yeah, Irving Berlin. You and I often think so, in, in musical references, don't we? So, we do. So you must be so excited, as are we, that you will be I am, and I'm, I'm, Hashem. I have made my way over many, many, many bureaucratic hurdles, paperwork piled next to me here, my permissions, my I got a green pass. So I'm ready to face all comers when I arrive at Ben-Gurion and kiss the tarmac, which may be a little chilly. I'm sure you must be so excited about coming back to the Holy Land. It's been yeah. a couple of years, and we're yes. really looking forward to seeing you soon, having you as our guest for Shabbat, and it uh, doesn't get too much better than that. So, uh, you know what? We're still at Mount Sinai. Yeah. Last week in Parsha Yitro, uh, goodness, the heavens opened up, and uh, the, the, the people of Israel witnessed this incredible uh, transcendent experience of um, the presence of Hashem and, you know, uh, receiving... Um, the Ten Commandments as the as the capsulization of it, of everything, and uh, it was this incredible prophetic experience that basically uh, was a, a true um, reality check of of Hashem's um, presence, and now the people of Israel are still standing at the at the foot of Mount Sinai. And this Torah portion of Mishpatim, the ordinances, is really a direct continuation of last week's Torah portion of Yitro, but it's so different. And first of all, it's just absolutely um, replete with mitzvot. I had the number written down and I read it as 500. I just put 500 more mitzvot on you. So thanks. As if you didn't have so, enough. Yeah. The, yeah. 50 of enough. them and they're like tort laws. 53. Very, very down to earth, very every day. Kind of. All sorts of dinim, all sorts of commandments that relate to um, um, the individual as well as society, as well as the individual being a member of society. There are mitzvot that have to do with responsibilities and obligations, and and they're very much um, um, infusing everyday life with 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 high moral standards, and and it's basically a system for human interaction, uh, for and for establishing a just and caring society and they're they're divine commandments that apply to every sort of situation in in life and thus they really fill the world with the light of hashem's presence the thing is you know that it's it's a, it's an amazing idea because you know last week's torah portion was this it was this thunderous divine revelation and now we have these commandments that are so you know, down to earth, so anchored in in the very physical world, 
first of all, Jim, I, I think this, you know, when we reflect on the fact that we were taking this people, you know, Am Yisrael, the Jewish people were slaves to Pharaoh and they were basically, you know, um, exploited completely. They had no, they had no justice. They received no justice and they were, they were basically being tossed about like in on this, this sea of, of, um, it's just evil manipulation and exploitation. And, and now they have their freedom. And the first thing that they learn is that freedom is not necessarily what you might think. Freedom yeah. doesn't mean, you know, and, and again, how do people define freedom? You know, how do people define freedom? And people think that it means that you can do whatever you want and or nothing and that and that it, it means and, and I think that's the definition that most people cherish. You know, it, it means I can be me. I can do whatever I want. And that's so not the definition that the Torah teaches us of, of what freedom is, which is basically that we, that we have the freedom to be able to have the clarity of our, of our own consciousness, freedom from our own Yetzir Hara, mm -hmm. that we are able to, to serve Hashem. Mm -hmm. And that, and, and that's why the, the sages have this, um, expression you know the the um the torah is is it doesn't have vowels in it you know the actual the actual torah scroll is not with any of the of the punctuation and and that kind of opens up a window of a very high level of interpretation because when you look at the torah without the vowels you can interpret it in in ways that are mind-bending because you know what the word is supposed to be but because the vowels are not there it it the word can sometimes bear any number of, of possible interpretations. And this is, this is like a, an idea of um, the, the timelessness and the, the depth of Torah. So, you know, the, the Ten Commandments were described as charut al-haluchot. Charut, the word literally means engraved. You know, mm -hmm. they were engraved with a finger of God on the, on the tablets. But the sages quip and they say, don't read that as charut, read it as cherut, which means freedom. Yeah. There's, that there's freedom on the tablets. In other words, and this is a reflection of the idea that this, the sages say, who is a truly, a truly free person? One who is in servitude to Hashem is, is truly free. The laws that govern the physical world and keep our world in balance and keep it, in, keep it stable, this is reflected in these laws that we're looking at today in Mishpatim, the, these, the same dynamic can be applied to these seemingly mundane lists of laws because they bring order and stability and they, they basically coalesce Israel into a nation. It's the very, um, you know, the very embodiment of what the, of what the divine laws are because again, we might have expected after standing at Mount Sinai and literally witnessing the, the heavens opening and perceiving the, the oneness of Hashem, it's a hard act to follow. You know, the voice of Hashem was heard. It was dramatic. It was uplifting. It was mind-bending. It was powerful. The sound of the shofar and, 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 and the, the thunder that was heard and the mount that was fire and smoke and, and this total you know, transcending of the limitations of the physical sen senses. But now the idea is... What is important to Hashem? What's important to Hashem is 
uh, this world. And that's mm-hmm. why he gave the Torah to Israel to uplift this world. So, so you know, it, it's not just, you know, that we have our relationship with the creator and that we worship the creator. It's that there is this, this responsibility for creating a community, creating a just society. This is the level of knowledge that was acquired at, at Sinai and what it translates into the, the the Torah now transforms into the bedrock of a society and all these laws that focus on personal and, and communal responsibility, righting wrongs committed against others, you know, even laws that pertain to possessions, people and their possessions, what happens when someone's property uh, damages someone else's property on purpose or inadvertently? What happens when someone's behavior has unfairly caused someone else to suffer loss or harm or perhaps even accidental death? The monetary laws, stealing, you know, people could say, you know, oh, God isn't interested in these things. Mm-hmm. People could say, this is not, this is not uh, a religious experience. And, and that's what this is such a powerful lesson of what the Sinai revelation is really all about. Uh, again, it's that, it's that beautiful midrash that talks about how when Moshe ascended to receive Torah, you know, the angels wanted him to be thrown out of heaven. And they said like to Hashem, like, what is this person of a flesh and blood doing here? Like what, what you're going to give the Torah to people. You're going to, that you're going to, you're going to bring the Torah down to earth. And, and, uh, and Hashem said to Moshe, you know, you answer them. And Moshe said to the angels, you know, okay, it says in the Torah, honor your parents. Do you have parents? It says, honest weights and measures. Do you have, do you have a business? You know, in other words, everything about Torah is, is that it's Hashem wants us to have a healthy society. He wants us to have a a judicial process. It's not in heaven. It's not taking place in heaven. That's where these laws originated, but, but it's here on earth. And so, you know, one might think, oh, this is like we're so far from the, the you know, the rarefied heavenly visions and the states of consciousness and, and the whole esoteric knowledge that we spoke about in, in Parsha Yitro. But no, no, heaven is not that far from earth and not, and not disconnected and not unconcerned with it. And this is the whole idea is that Hashem is giving Moshe these commandments to give over to the people because they, because our responsibility is to be earthbound, to be solid, to be people-oriented, to be centered on our our fellow man, Rabbi. and and that's that 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 is just so amazing. It's so it's so beautiful. You know what we what we are to be focused on. We're we're to be focused on this world. Right. Yes, we're very interested in the next world. We're very very excited about the next world. But you know, there's a lot of religions, so to speak, that are totally obsessed with the next world and with and with what happens when you get to heaven but they abandon they abandon this world that's because they are religions and i would submit to you your honor this parsha is exhibit a that israel is a nation they are not a religion they are a they're a holy nation and this parsha shows us that right after as you describe this momentous world-shaking giving of the torah God says, but you are a nation of priests. These kind of laws only exist in in nations that are very, very civilized. This is what Torah is, and that's what that's what's so beautiful about it is because it's because the Torah's attention to these very mundane, kind of like nitty-gritty details of, of an earthly existence 
that's what takes Hashem's voice mm-hmm. that emanated at Mount Sinai that was heard all around the world. That that was such an incredibly spiritual experience, and and it brings Hashem's voice into this world. And it's precisely because this is why Hashem gave the Torah to Israel in the first place, because God cares so much about this world that He wants to be involved with it by having Torah translated into the way people create and continue to maintain a caring relationship with each other. This always reminds me of the conversation you and I had years ago. We were at your office, we were having coffee, and you just sort of offhandedly said, do you like to put the cream in your cup before you pour the coffee in? And Or you saw me doing it, and you said, hey, I do that too. And I said, yeah. And you took that very, again, mundane conversation, and you said, you know, Jim, this is what holiness is all about. God is, God is concerned about you know, about the order in which we do things. And when you, when you look at something in here as simple as, you know, taking care of the, of the debt you owe someone or fixing something that you accidentally broke, God elevates that kind of action to a level of, of heaven. That's what's so wonderful about it. That's why he calls Israel a holy nation, right? I can't believe that you're bringing up that coffee incident today because I just <laughs> mentioned that to my son Shlomo this morning. But, but let me just provide the explanation to our listeners who have no idea what you're talking about. But it's actually a, a tradition from the Holy Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berditchev, who ah. who was one of the one of the great uh, masters. That he taught that one should put the milk in the cup before the coffee. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's on a symbolic level, it's sweetening the judgments. Right. And it's it's like lightening, lightening the heaviness. So you put it in first. And the idea just being that he was on this level of God consciousness, that that this that's the idea of, of what's called a yichud, like that in that that people a person could be on the level that every single thing that we do is focused on Hashem's presence in our lives. And so for him, you know, putting the milk in, in the coffee was an, was an act of tremendous religious significance. And more than that, it was an act of tikkun because it was like, what, what is the idea? It's like, it's like eating the simanim on Rosh Hashanah, like eating the special, the special fruits and vegetables that stand for blessing. The idea is I'm showing by putting the milk in first, I'm showing that I believe that Hashem will sweeten the judgment that is on me. Amen. And that he, and that he and that he will treat me with compassion and mercy. It's just a little milk in the coffee. It's not like, <laughs> it's not like a huge um, deed, you know, like encrusted with the significance. But the point, the, the point is, that's kavana. When you do something simple, and you bring Hashem into the picture, everything comes down to to this idea. And that's what this parsha is about. This this parsha is about total God consciousness because. The way we treat other people, the way the way we want to be treated, the way we want to show respect for other people in society, that it should be functioning and that it should be healthy and that it should be nurturing, that's a reflection of the fact that we that we are a people living with God in our midst. I often think about when I'm driving around looking for a parking space, which of course is the national sport of, of Israel. The person gets caught up in their everyday life. And you'll have someone who is a believer and they're driving around and they're praying for a parking space. One opens up and they go, oh, this is this is how prayer works. No, the fact that you couldn't find a parking place in the first place, that is from Hashem. The prophets and the, and the Tanakh 
compare Sinai to a marriage ceremony between Hashem uh-huh. and Israel as the bride. So what happens after the ceremony? You got to get down to housekeeping every day and getting right. along in that. Isn't that where isn't that where a lot of marriages go wrong when the guy goes, uh, boy, this cup isn't quite clean or hmm, uh, honey, this uh, this meal's got a little too much salt in it. I wouldn't know because my marriage is perfect. So you there know, you go. I, my wife is my wife is perfect. So I wouldn't know. Yeah, I would but, tend to but agree, Jim, by, the, by the way, she, know, is, she is perfect. There's an old joke about this atheist that can't find the parking spot. So he's driving around and around. And finally, he decides, oh, OK, I'm going to pray. I don't believe it, but I'm going to pray. I'm so frustrated. So he says, God, if you exist, do me a favor. Open up a parking space for me. And then suddenly one opens up. Yeah. So he says, oh, oh, forget it. I took care of it myself. <laughs> but never mind. Right. Never mind. I just, took, I just took care of it. Yeah. So it sounds really, really funny, but it's actually very, very, very serious because everything comes down to this idea of do we believe in God or not? And that makes such a difference to everything about the way, the way we live. And uh, again, this Parsha is, is about total God consciousness and total God consciousness leads to the realization that the soul is immortal. And it leads to the realization that this is Hashem's world. You know, this is Hashem's world and we are, we are guests in it, but we're not in control. I was um, enjoying our um, Zoom class on Sunday night. We, we had a, a wonderful session. And, you know, we're, we've been studying about King David and the soul of King David. And we've been studying the book of 1 Samuel for a really, really long time. We have a, a wonderful group. And we were talking about this whole idea of how everything that happened to David, there's so much adversity and so much, so many challenges and, and so much suffering because he is the soul of Mashiach and he has to elevate the whole world. And we were talking about the fact that in all the terrible things that happened to him, he never complained yeah. and he never had a question even on Hashem, like, why are you doing this to me? And we were talking about the fact that you know, he, he was going through all this adversary because that's what brings a person closer to Hashem and how he's this whole tikkun of the, of the soul of Adam HaRishon. But the idea is, I was, I was trying to, to, to um, talk about this idea that I think is, is so apropos also to our Parsha and in, and in general to the times that we're living in. You know, everything boils down to this question, like that joke about the parking space, like, does a person believe in God or do you think you're God? Right. Yeah. It's like, remember that we, that we just learned a, a few weeks ago in, in the beginning of Exodus that Pharaoh said, who's Hashem? I never heard of Hashem, you're, and you're not leaving. You're not going anywhere. And who's Hashem? And then, and then, a few verses later, there in chapter five, I think verse nine in Exodus, he says, um, "Don't listen to false hope. Don't listen to false hope, false news." You know, and and what it really all boils down to is all throughout history. We were talking about this idea in our Zoom class that all the various movements throughout human history, political movements, social movements, everything that you that you want and that you look at, I believe what it all boils down to is that it it's always about whether or not a person 
believes in Hashem, thanks Hashem for everything, recognizes that everything is from Hashem, or denies Hashem, and wants to say that, you know, that we are ultimately little gods, you know, and this is what King David is, is all about, he's about thanking, thanking Hashem, but the reason that this is so, is so apropos, and the reason that these laws in Parshat Mishpatim are, are so incredibly important for us is because the world that we live in today is so bleak, and so the landscape is so desolate because we are constantly being inundated with tremendous fear and vulnerability. Jim, you know how people are, people are just talking about this. So people are are so many people are are feeling this utter hopelessness. It's just being beamed at us. Maybe it's the five G. I don't know. It's just being beamed at us. You know, like the, this feeling of of um, of fear and and the unknown and and uh, it, it it's manifest in many many different things. We don't even we don't have to enumerate them. But this is this is the opposite of believing that it's Hashem's world and that Hashem is in charge and that Hashem has a plan. And that, and the plan is based on his compassion and, and love. When we take that out of the equation, the world is absolutely hopeless and and fearful. I think part of the bleakness is comes from the fact that we are being ruled by people who think they are gods, who don't really know God. If they and if they do, it's just they they give it lip service. The idea, and they are their own standard of what is goodness and what is right. And I think we have in, in this country today, we have a whole multitude of people, a generation who grew up with biblical principles as the core for the direction of their lives. And we have a media and a government and a movement that says, no, that's all wrong. That's fantasy. Here's what's good and here's what's right. And when that happens, you see the idea of, of goodness and and, and righteousness being literally flipped on its head be, but from people who, who are their own idols. So this is precisely it, and this is what it all boils down to. Are we in total denial of God, or do we realize that there's nothing else but his presence? And, and that fills us with joy. And uh, the ultimate joy is the realization of the immortality of the soul, and the and the and the resurrection of the dead. That's the source of true joy of the tzaddikim, is to understand that the, the world as we see it today is all an illusion. And um, <clears throat> so last week, I think you you and I were talking a little bit about this whole idea of of life after death and how it's a fundamental uh, concept. And and a number of, of people actually um, emailed me. I, I got one. A response from a listener who was asking about this belief in the resurrection and a um, very sincere listener wanted, said she wanted to understand it. She wants to believe in it, but she doesn't understand why isn't it explicitly taught at the Torah? And, you know, this is actually a, a, a very great mystery, really, that um, the sages talk about the fact that, that the resurrection of the dead, which is a fun, absolutely fundamental belief of, of uh, Torah, is not um, specifically explicitly taught in the Torah. Rather, it is it is alluded to. It is alluded to, and the Talmud discusses this in, in in great at great length. You know the whole concept of the song of the sea, like Az Yashir Moshe. Then then Moshe and the children of Israel will sing this song, and there are various 
illusions that are made, but why isn't it, if it's such a foundation of Torah faith, why isn't it? I think this this Parsha answers that question. God wants us to be concerned with living our lives in the present. Exactly. I couldn't have put it better. I couldn't put it better. There's, and there's a number of, of deep uh, discussions and reasons, you know, for the, the fact that it is only, that is only alluded to, like, for example, the whole idea that, that in a, in a way it's plan B because Adam HaRishon originally was supposed to, was supposed to live forever. And that, that the whole idea, and this is all very deep, but on a simple level, which is not so simple. Um, I was explaining to this gal that, that um, the details of, of the immortality of the soul are, are alluded to in the Torah and not emphasized explicitly precisely because the whole idea of Torah is that Torah is obsessed with this present world, this present world. It, 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 the, uh, and Hashem does not want us to become uh, obsessed with the coming world as, as many religions, so-called religions, man-made religions are. And they, and they look forward to the future and they ignore the responsibility that we have for this world. And according to Torah, this world is the main thing. Hashem yeah. created us. He placed us in this world. He wants us to, to try and better ourselves and to make the world into a better place by making ourselves into better people. And, and ultimately, you know, the, the, the soul is forever and our relationship with Hashem is forever. And we have a short you know, period of time in, in this world to do the, the tikkun that we have. But the, the the bottom line is the is the joy of being in in this world and filling it with the light of Hashem through the mitzvot. That we're going to be getting into uh, the idea, especially in the upcoming portions of the Torah that deal with the Mishkan, uh-huh. and and all these things are this blueprint for building our own tabernacles according to the plan given in in Torah. Then we will be raised up, so to speak. When it's finished, and it, then Hashem wants us to build the real, the real Mishkan, the real Mikdash, because He wants to be amongst among us when right. we lift everything up. And and this is the, the the whole thing I think that our Torah portion is emphasizing is that a person can be very spiritual and think that spiritual means to be removed from this world, and that and the person can just be you know meditating all day, but that's not the Torah's measure of of a true religious experience. The Torah's measure of, of a true, a true religious person is a person who is sensitive to others, because you can you can be in love with Hashem, but if you can't translate that into practical application in this world, then he might imagine that he loves Hashem, but he doesn't really love Hashem because Hashem loves this world. I mean, the laws against damaging somebody's property. There is holiness in that. In that you are caring about your neighbor, you're caring about even even the simplest things, his property, and it's all wrapped up here in this parsha. I don't think that's too far reach, is it? I think it's perfect. And then you know, at the end of the parsha, there's the this covenant, you know, with the with the blood and the and the offerings and the um, very esoteric, powerful statement that that the Am Yisrael responded, we will do and we will obey, which yeah. is so hard to understand. And it's, it's such a mystical experience because they're basically saying that even if we do not understand, we will, we will first do, we commit ourselves to, 
to our responsibility of the you, yoke you just, of heaven of the mitzvot, and then and then later we'll, we'll we'll what we're able to understand we'll understand. But yeah. like you said, there are chukim, there are there are lo, there are ordinances beyond human comprehension that we admit that we won't be able to understand, but yet we accept upon ourselves Hashem's will. And this is what Israel uh, agreed to: we will we will implement holiness by doing holy things. Their faith in Hashem, I think, sealed the deal when they said we will do because you want us to do. So, so at the end of the Parsha, something is described, which is um, obviously has no, is not on a, on a simple level of understanding, right? It's a, it's a very hard thing to understand. Um, We read that there's some sort of vision that Israel perceived. It says they saw the God of Israel and under his feet, was oh, yeah. the likeness of sapphire brickwork. Mm-hmm. And it was like the essence of the heaven in purity. And what, what does that even mean? They saw the God of Israel and under his feet was the likeness of sapphire brickwork. You know, we know that in, in right here in, in, in the book of Shemot later on, in, in Parshat Kitisa, Hashem warns us in, in chapter 33, no man sees my face and lives. And, and, and Moshe reminds us in, when he reviews the whole event of Mount Sinai in, in the book of Deuteronomy in, in chapter four, he reminds us that there was no image or form or form that was seen. So here, but yet here we have this very amazing description. They saw the God of Israel and under his feet was the likeness of sapphire brickwork, like the essence of the heaven and purity. Isn't that an allusion to the idea that the Torah is actually, was actually written and given on sapphire stones isn't that part of the meaning of that verse there's so, there is some sort of very very deep um um significance to the whole concept of sapphire but on a on a spiritual level what it represents and the association of the, the you know the tablets with sapphire what what that means is is an, a whole nother thing but i i want to look at it kind of in a simpler way which is actually very beautiful and our sages talk about the fact that this imagery was kind of like specifically designed by Hashem in order for Israel to be able to relate to Hashem within their comfort zone because they just were making bricks a few months earlier for right. Pharaoh. Yeah. So these were people that really understood bricks and Hashem is basically utilizing this brick motif because, because they're, they're used to that. They were forced to make bricks, but now Hashem is saying, that means a lot to me, you know, that you worked so hard making those bricks, but, mm-hmm. um, and that's very precious to Hashem, you know, they're, they're suffering that they made those bricks. But what he's saying now is that, you know, as opposed to the slave labor bricks that, that Israel manufactured in, in bondage by, by and, and Pharaoh used those bricks to build up his own might, the message of this vision is now through their labor, through their service, they're also going to be building a type of bricks. Yeah. But they're going to be accomplishing something completely different. Now they're going to be they're going to be serving Hashem, the true king, and every single thing that they do. You know what those bricks are? Those bricks are the mitzvot. All of these mitzvot that are described in this parsha that 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 apply to so many different human situations, and and they're so you know you know complex, and they and they have so many different. Um, implication for so many different uh, times and, and parts of life. The idea is this is your service of Hashem 
it's in every situation and every very human situation, you're, you're actually serving Hashem with, through these commandments that are detailed in this portion. And these deeds become bricks, as it were, spiritual, spiritual entities that, ref, that reflect his presence. That's the idea of the sapphire. Yeah. And that, and that is the is is the covenant and Hashem is basically showing them with tremendous compassion that everything that we do in this world, even the material things, even the things that are that are so earth earthly, you know, that are so nitty gritty, they become connected to heaven, and they're like they're like under Hashem's feet, as it were, because they they become the foundation of the world. They yeah. hold the world up. Our actions, they're what imbues this very physical world into something meaningful and lasting and eternal and spiritually powered and a reflection of Hashem's presence. The, the mitzvot have tremendous power to um, fill the world with this sense of divine purpose. And this is exactly what our, our goal is in life. And, and so therefore this Parsha, which seems to be so concerned with um, mundane details of, of human existence. It is, and it's the mundane details of human existence that, that Hashem cherishes. Yeah. And when we can, when we can treat each other with proper respect and when we can create just and caring and humane society, that is what Hashem's goal is for, for, for the world. This, this recalls how their submission and, and the yoke of servitude began with Israel years and years ago. Remember how it started? They said, how do we trick these people in, into, how do we enslave them? And so they said, well, let's make this massive building project. And so Pharaoh comes down to the site of the first sort of the groundbreaking and where they have to start making these bricks to, to build these, these sore cities and, and other projects. What does he do? He makes the first brick and, and stamps. He rolls the, up his sleeves and he it, says, this, yeah. is, this is how you do it. Right. And, I'm, and I'm with you. I'm the, with you. The royal seal on it. And that is the beginning of their servitude, although they don't realize it. This is the completely opposite side of that. This is Hashem recalling the bricks, but this is but with a completely different aspect to it. The fact that you have now entered the service of Hashem, and this is a service like no other in that it elevates you daily as this, this nation of holiness that will, that will serve to be a model to show other people, show the rest of the world how to build their lives. And, and I'm not, and I'm not uh, tricking you into it. Yeah, that's a very beautiful thought. Another thing I wanted to point out, Jim, about this Torah portion, uh, it gives us an, an excellent opportunity to, to um, mention something else that's so, so important for people to understand, and that is the, the preeminence and the significance and the proper understanding of the oral Torah. Because at the end of this Parsha, Moshe ascends for 40 days, and he studies the entire Torah with Hashem. And, and the verse tells us very specifically that he ascended the mountain for 40 days. And this is the secret of, of the oral Torah, that Moshe was being given over by Hashem himself all the details and explanations of how the mitzvot are to be fulfilled, how they're to be understood in every changing 
situation, right? Moses arrived in the midst of the cloud and ascended the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. What was he doing? And, and this is what he was doing. He was receiving the Torah from Hashem. And people, people don't understand this. And the, and the more that um, non-Jews get into the Torah and begin to study and begin to ask questions and, and begin to experience the whole, the whole um, idea of what true Torah study is really all about, the more they begin to understand that this is not at all what, what they've been taught. You know, pe people have been... Um, um, the, whole, the whole concept of the oral Torah is so maligned by the Christian world that makes it sound as if it's this rabbinic Judaism, they call it, and that it is, it is um, man-made and that it is this whole legal system. And they don't understand the beauty of the whole concept is that Hashem himself taught Moshe how timeless the Torah is. And, and there are so many examples in the five books of Moses, right, of things that cannot possibly be understood right. without the 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 connection the understanding that the Torah that, that Hashem gave Moshe in in writing is like a shorthand yes it's like notes that were taken at a university lecture a it's like lecture, it's yeah. like it's like one half of, of something but the living Torah what keeps it alive what keeps it flowing what encourages asking questions which is a fundamental principle of of the experience of of Torah is the the body of understanding and, and, and wisdom that he gave over to Moshe, the principles of how Torah is to be understood and how it is to be interpreted. And, 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 and so therefore there are so many verses where Hashem literally uh, um, gives only half the story. Right. And then we find, we find uh, the verse that tells us like, like everything I showed you in the mountain, whether it's the menorah or the, even the, the, the pattern of the tabernacle itself, we're going to be learning soon. You know, the verses that tell us like, like everything that I showed you in the mountain. And even mm -hmm. for example, the concept of Shabbat, which is like the cornerstone of Jewish life. There's so little that's actually written in Torah about how Shabbat is to be observed. Yeah. How you shake and yet, it. And, yeah. Or, or how, how an animal is to be properly slaughtered, right. and even the shape, the, the, the shape of the of the olive bed, you know, in 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 um, archaeological um, excavations like Masada, we find um, tefillin and 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 Torah that is written over three thousand years ago in the exact same manner, or the Dead Sea Scrolls. How do we even know the pattern and the and the form and how things are written? There's so much that was given over to Moshe, and the and the intention was for it to always be given over orally in every generation. And it was given from Moshe to Yehoshua and Yehoshua to the, to the, to the elders and to the, from the elders to the prophets. And it was only at a specific time in Jewish history when the rabbis who possessed this knowledge were being systematically killed by the Romans when it, be, it became um, punishable by death to teach Torah in public. Mm -hmm. And all the great rabbis in the generation of Rabbi Akiva were, were systematically killed by the Romans. So then a, a provision was made that the, the oral Torah could be written as well. But it's, it, and today, of course, it's available in, in writing and everyone studies the various books of the oral Torah. But it's nature. It's still called the oral Torah because it's very nature is to be given over from, from teacher to student. And that encourages this whole kind of open-mindedness and dialogue and questions to the extent that the Midrash even says that 
every question that is that will ever be raised in any generation by any student in the future was already asked at Mount Sinai. Right. So it becomes this this whole um, Wait, uh, yeah. uh, amazing experience of of, um, of of understanding. When you reference the fact that the Torah scroll has all the consonants and there are no vowels in it, this is the vowels of the Torah, right? This is those spaces in between. The and, understanding, right? Yeah, and isn't that what uh, we're told that Mashiach will do? Mashiach will, when Mashiach comes and, and begins to teach Torah, that he will he will explain, or uh, is it explain or translate? Anyway, the spaces, even this, not just the spaces in the the word itself, the missing vowels, but the sp the spaces in the Torah itself. White spaces flesh those things out, and it's just such an important idea because again, there's there's so much maligning of of Torah in in certain quarters, and they, and they say what? So then, so then there's two Torahs, and you know this is the whole problem with the, again with the, they have this disparaging description. They call it quote rabbinic Judaism as if. It, you know, the whole system is man-made, is made by the rabbis. It's just something that was added on, that was created. And, and it that's tremendously uninformed, tremendously ignorant, if you'll pardon me, because this is exactly what this verse is referring to. Moshe ascended, and for 40 days and 40 nights, Hashem gave, gave over to him the, the, the entire concept, the system of understanding Meanwhile, they're committing a worse error. They're they're taking a verse from the Torah and they're saying, "Well, this is what it means," and they're basing it on their own faulty human logic. One of the mitzvot in this parsha, I never understood it, and I thought it sounded kind of cruel. And then when I began to read the commentaries that obviously were, were part of the oral tradition, I thought that makes so much sense. And that is the an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Oh, and, there's a perfect example of exactly what we're talking about. Right. And 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 the whole idea of understanding the relationship that, between the oral Torah and the written Torah, that there is so much, there's so much in the written Torah that simply cannot be understood. We would be clueless. We would be clueless without the oral Torah. And in the Hashem's ultimate incredible divine wisdom, he insisted that this is the proper transmission of Torah knowledge, is that it should be in two halves, that the oral tradition should be vibrant and alive and understood in every generation according to that particular generation. So yes, uh, you know, and, and again, there, there are people that are jaded and that and, and arrogant and 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 uh, how many times have I seen this bumper sticker? Like, uh, you know, if if everybody goes by an eye for an eye, there'll be a lot of blind, toothless people in the world. You know, people <laughs> actually think that that's biblical law. People actually think that that is this idea of of this. You know, like, oh, that's religion, religious fundamentalism. That's the that's the this vengeful, wrathful Old Testament deity that he's saying an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and it has nothing to do with um with the, the that that um 
No, it's a literal interpretation. It has to do with monetary compensation for, for causing another person damages. Right. The sages tell us the reason it, it doesn't literally mean that, it means it means measure of value given for value lost. And saying, you're, you know, also, your eye has value, for goodness sakes. Your, your tooth has value. A finger has value. How can you replace that? You can't give someone your finger. You know so, what? It's, it can be compared exactly to like, you know, people have, um, insurance um, as part of their um, employment plan that if God forbid they are rendered um, ma- they're maimed or something into, to, to the point where they can no longer work so then mm-hmm. they, there's a certain amount of compensation that they will receive uh, as a monthly stipend because they can no longer work. That's right. exactly the idea. How is that kind of thing measured? Yeah. That's a, that is an important aspect of justice. Yeah, and I love the the, the the kind of pithiness of the sages who bring it down into reality, and they say, how could that really mean that you're going to give an eye if you if you knock out somebody's eyes and they give a a situation wherein uh, two two blind men get into a physical brawl and one of them uh, knocks the other blind guy's eye out. So what's the other blind guy going to do? No, besides that, it's cruel. And, and, and Hashem is not cruel. It's actually the idea that you suffered and you should rightly be recompensed for your suffering and your loss. In general, the whole kaleidoscope beauty of the oral Torah is like the inner soul of Torah itself. And, and again, and, and to, to quote the, the Zoom classes that, we're, that we've been having you know, there's so much background that our sages give to everything, to every situation, to every uh, to every verse. It's a world. It's a world. And one of the, the beautiful things about our community, the Jerusalem Lights community, and the studying that we're doing together is, you know, when people are coming from a background in which they've been denied the opportunity to understand Hashem's word, there's so many beautiful people that are coming to Torah, non-Jews that are coming to Torah that have been, that have been like I say, they received this very jaded, maligned understanding of what it's all about, and they've been denied the truth of Torah, and then suddenly the world opens up for them, and they understand that it, it, it's so much more, and it's so deeper, and it's so life-giving, and it's so nurturing, and what Hashem's message is for the whole world through Torah, that's the beauty of the oral tradition. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, 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 it's like taking Hashem's voice and bringing it into the world. It's life-changing. It's yeah. life-changing for so many people. God uh, does not leave us alone. We have a way to deal with every Every societal problem can be solved with the application of Torah. And boy, do we ever need it now. We, we could, we could Again, I, I really want to emphasize what, what we mentioned earlier, that everything comes down to this question as to whether or not we are going to be able to believe in Hashem and admit His presence in our lives and thank Him and acknowledge Him. And, that, and that's what makes the world go around. We've said it so many times, that thankfulness, that a recognition of Hashem in our lives. And then we take that, to the to the extent of understanding what this world is really all about, and that and and that it is the total antidote to this terrible feeling of fear and hopelessness, this terrible dystopian kind of uh, um, struggle that people feel locked into this 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 nameless fear. 
and and that is the greatest enemy that we face today in the world and the mm-hmm. uh, and and the and 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 it all comes about from the fact that this is just being beamed at us all the time through the media through netflix whatever through everything you know not to believe in hashem not to dare to believe in hashem and and to give in to this tremendous hopelessness and that's the battle the battle today is a spiritual battle this is the the true war of gogo magog is whether or not a person believes in hashem yeah. or because because it because there's only two choices and this is the bottom line of everything in this world it's either that we believe in hashem or that or we think that we are like little gods and that nothing has any meaning and that's what that's what leads to the total Im- Im- implosion of human existence and 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 the world as we know it. And that's mm-hmm. what Parshat Mishpatim is coming to address, the ultimate source of joy, which is the understanding that the soul is immortal, that there is a resurrection, that there is a, a promise that Hashem made for, for the elevation of all humanity. And it all starts with with believing that that Hashem is king and acknowledging that that in and fulfilling his commandments in every situation in life. And that's what fills the world with the light of God's presence. Amen. So I want to wish you a safe trip here to the land of Israel. We're looking forward to to seeing you soon. I'm looking forward to the same. The good land. I, I always it's a refreshing kind and of And first of all I try to save some snow for you. Yeah. <laughs> Second of all, with God's help, our next broadcast of Jerusalem Lights podcast will be uh, side by side here side by in Jerusalem. Side, right there in, in your very uh, home. Yes. Looking forward to it, Rabbi, very much. See you soon, Bezrat Hashem. Amen. Shalom, shalom to all of our wonderful listeners.